0: Welcome to Out of the Common. We're a brother and sister duo with extravagant goals where we've had to bridge the gap from perceived reality to actuality. I have an early stage mining venture potentially worth many billions, and Vanessa, she's an experienced healer. She connects the spiritual, energetic, and physical pathways within her functional wellness clinic.
1: Join us here every week as we discuss some of life's adventures, current events, and ways in which true healing happens. By experiencing life through a different lens, you may indeed just find the path that's right for you. And that is what we hope to achieve.
0: Psychedelics. The role of psychedelics in society has been taboo since the beginning of organized religion with a hard-hitting propaganda campaign ever since. But do psychedelics play a therapeutic role in healing? Joining us today is Ryan Heath, the owner of Shady Oak Hemp Farm, a fantastic individual with an amazing green thumb and a wide range of hallucinogenic experiences. Ryan, I'm going to let you kick this off at your own pace because I know you have some great information
2: and uh, we'll jump in where we need to. All right. Well, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Vanessa. Thanks for having me on uh, the podcast. I guess a good place to start is to kind of look into... um, How long have human beings been using psychedelics and what what was the reasoning for it? So, you know, pre societal times when humans were basically nomadic and tribal, being that there was not one broad, organized base of spiritual thinking, they all used different ways of trying to reach a higher power, be psychedelics, be meditation, be sweat lodges, They were all just different kind of ways of trying to figure what this world was about, because to this day, we still don't
0: really know. We don't really know. (laughs) And I think you're right, though. I mean, the expansion of consciousness and what it does, how it opens up your mind is quite fascinating. I mean, obviously, there's bad experiences as well. But once you open that door, I don't think you can close it. It's like once you know, once you see, once you've read, you can't undo it.
1: It's interesting you say that because Dr. Strassman, who got approved through the DEA to study DMT at University of New Mexico, he called the spirit molecule, but he said everyone experienced what they needed to, not what they wanted to.
2: I find that true. Yeah, that kind of goes along with the idea of how wrong it is to just lump bad drugs all together you know um are they bad though i mean that's that's kind of what they're categorizing right well and that's that's definitely what they're trying to say and there are good and there's definitely bad ones out there it's kind of the idea of what the user's looking for in the end are you trying to escape reality that's like your general like heavily addictive substances where you're trying to just shut reality out opiates uh opiates um heroin I and mean, heroin's a big one right. for sure even alcohol, really, you're, you know, it's definitely a depressant and it's trying to kind of drown that out. Now, the difference with a psychedelic is, I mean, life is in your face. You have to deal with what's happened. You, your ego is just completely gone. You don't know where you are. You're super vulnerable. And that's where you're not escaping reality. You have to get, it's right in your face and you have to see it and kind of go, whoa, like you're seeing all the dissection of the blades of grass and the <laughs> grains of wood. And and your mind's thinking from different perspectives. You know, you're looking at, it's kind of like a lot of people have had the idea, experience of, hey, I'm kind of seeing myself from outside of myself, looking down going, whoa, I'm thinking about this from a whole new way. And that's what I think a lot of psychotherapy is about, right? Trying to reprogram the brain to say, hey, let's go to a more positive angle, or maybe I'm looking at this from different angles. So you know, maybe that's where psychedelics can really play a a pretty healthy thing. And maybe that's what it has been traditionally. And that was kind of just trying to explain, okay, something crazy happened. The, The rain didn't come, the crops died. What happened? Let's try to figure it out. And maybe we can look at this from another angle and find a positive out of it.
1: A lot of times back in the day, it was ceremonious, using them for healing purposes, whether it be the shaman or the medicine man. So that being said, how did they start to become taboo? You mentioned that as religion organized, people looked at this from a kind of a negative perspective.
2: Yeah. Uh, again, in small groups, people, the little groups had the ability to kind of make their own rules and decide what their society was worth. Once people start organizing and what really, which was basically the main religions, the uh, Christian, the Judaism, the uh, Islamic, Catholic, yeah. Islamic religions that are all really based around pretty much the same book saying that this book, this way, explains everything that they were trying to find out with these shamanistic practices. But did they have the authority to say that? Like, who who gave them the right to say that, no, this explains all this, this heals everything, this book you follow? Well, that could be an answer. But that by organizing that big group took over and cast all the pagans aside and said, hey, no, no, that's weird, that's wrong, that's demonistic. But it was really just based on they didn't understand the reasoning for what they were doing it for. I find that
0: fascinating because on a couple different levels, number one, you have this organized religion and yes, it's organized and it's a control group. However, we know that they did research. When I say they, I mean, alphabet agency companies associated with the government. So we know they've done research for many years with LSD in particular But it was like the war for, not on mind control, but for mind control. And so you go back to organized religion, a sense of control, then they find out what it actually does in their methods of testing for control purposes. Now, I'm a big believer in God, but is it possible that this propaganda campaign is basically trying to shut down a higher power, another creator, not another creator, a creator, in saying that these people in power, these humans that we know
2: are all there is and what they say is what we're supposed to do. That's exactly why they abandoned it. They tested it. They're like, people go crazy. We can like can control their minds. Well, it, it didn't work out that way. In fact, their minds got less controllable. The more they use these, and they were like, whoa, 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 this is the opposite of what we wanted. And that's what scares them.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But knowing that they can use that to forge new neural pathways in the mind for their erroneous activities or whatever the hell they want to do, you have to understand or think that it can also be used for the for the positive approach, right? For forging neural pathways and, and oh, yeah. new connections and new highways only with, you know, positive subliminal information and affirmations and, and healing modalities.
1: It's the same thing. It's just the opposite, right? You can reprogram negative thoughts, patterns, traumas in, or you can reprogram positive thoughts, habits in. And so the question is, what are you using for, right? And if you're ever using anything in the negative way or for bad, it's not correct. Like, even though you have the knowledge, you should never use anything detrimentally against someone else or to control someone else.
0: Agreed. And with that said, Ryan, maybe you can jump in on this one, but set and setting... And if you can explain that for people that may not understand what that is, but also, you know, some of the experiences that may come without doing it
2: properly. Yeah, uh, most definitely. Again, putting psychedelics in a different category than your most uh, traditional addictive drugs is that it's not going to be pleasant no matter what. There's a lot that goes into making these journeys positive and uplifting, but at the same time, because they're so powerful, if you aren't in that positive mindset, it can go really bad really quickly. Hence, you know, again, if heroin users are looking for escape, they can get out of it no matter how bad they feel. If they feel bad and take some sort of mushrooms LSD, they're going to feel worse. So there's definitely some good rules to ensuring this. And this is where, sadly, because of the scheduling of these drugs that no one can do research there hasn't been a lot of people who've been able to sit in a comfortable clinical style setting with someone to guide you to have that really great experience it's pretty much just been hippies at music festivals sitting in the grasses and music (laughs) going wow if i chill out and do this it's going to make me feel better like this is great and that's where this idea of trying to open this up so we can actually look at this like uh you know Good setting, but mainly having a goal of what you want to experience out of it. That's not always the goal that you're going to get out of it. Right, but set an intention. But as long as you set an intention to try to figure something out, generally, like what they've said is like it comes to you like uh, what that uh, doctor said about DMT, the spirit, you know, like that. It's not necessarily what what you want, but it's what you need at the time to figure out and click in your brain and go, whoa.
1: But don't you think what you need ultimately becomes something positive even if it helps you see things, if the experience isn't uplifting, you see it from a different perspective and you walk away understanding things to a greater degree, even though it wasn't, quote, positive at the time. Say you don't want to sit there for hours and just cry your eyes out. But what if all of a sudden you walk away and then health ailments are cleared and you're like, hmm, maybe I needed to get it out that way. Yeah, no one said it was going to be easy, but you're right. Even
0: a challenging experience with psychedelics can be And usually is very positive, I would say.
2: Well, and and it's not looking at it like a traditional modern day drug. It's not going to, you're going to take it. You're going to feel better. You're going to take this and maybe months, maybe a year down the road, something clicks. And that's that initial intention is going to come back to where even if that's not we got out of the trip, it may come back to actually, oh, I did it. I didn't even know I was like trying to go that direction. I was following this one and ended up bringing me back and accomplishing my goal without me even realizing it. It's it's a much longer process because it's not a fix. It's not a band-aid. It's a complete lifestyle change of saying, hey, maybe I need to look at all of this just from a different angle. Does anyone truly love working out? I mean, some people do, right? I think for sure some people do. But
0: I don't think people truly love working out. And it's the same thing with psychedelics. You think you you like it, you love it, but again, it's not an addictive thing. And they've they've said that a long time or for a long time that it's not addictive because nobody wants to experience this on a daily basis like smoking weed or you know taking heroin or or even cocaine
2: yeah generally that's why you see very you know almost no sort of addiction numbers when it comes to any psychedelics
0: no one wants to get their ass kicked every other day
2: (laughs) by looking opening up
0: doors that have never been opened and seeing perceptions or points of view from a thousand
2: different angles and when you're exhausted by the end of it it is just like oh God, I just need to, I need to just sit and think about what happened to me. It's not like, oh, let's do that right again. No, you're like, oh God, give me a second. I got to figure out what's up and down and what colors are. And yeah.
1: I think the whole point is to come back to reality to help you see reality from a different perspective. And that's what people are excited to do. Mm -hmm. So they don't want to, they don't want to stay in that kind of trip mode. They want to use that to bring them back. And I think that's the difference. That is the difference. You're right. And I
2: think what you were trying to get to at the beginning of this little of this part was, you know, it's all about your like what your intentions, what you're trying to do. There's a lot of fear that, oh, well, I've heard someone has a bad trip. They go crazy. That is all dependent. That can all be controlled as long as that you know that that's what you're trying to do. You do it in a correct space and you will never have a bad trip if you're in the right you know, state of mind. The first time I had mushrooms, I didn't think it was any different
0: than weed, and boy was I wrong. <laughs> I was highly mistaken. But
1: you were young too, correct?
0: I was young, but it doesn't matter. They're they're serious. I'm just pointing that out. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. You were young when this happened. I was young, and I wasn't smart enough to understand exactly what it what it was, what they do. But I got my hands on some, and we decided we were going to have a good time, and it was the most miserable experience to this day of my life. <laughs>
1: Which, did that deter you from trying it again?
0: I never wanted to touch it again. I didn't want to see them. I didn't want anything to do with weed, nothing. And to me, those two items, obviously, I know there's more like LSD and ketamine and so on. But those two items to me are natural. You know what I'm saying? Nobody put them here. So I feel more comfortable on that front, especially with their healing properties and therapeutic properties. Because it's not man-made. Correct. And that's just my opinion where I come from. But... Regardless, they're serious and I didn't take it serious at the time and I didn't have an intention because I didn't know anything about an intention.
1: But that's the difference of using it recreationally for fun, as you were talking about the hippies at festivals, right? And then using it medicinally for some sort of purpose.
2: Well, But that's I think we were coming down to is like that's the not awesome part about Most people's first experiences with this stuff, because there's such little education that anyone gives anyone, other than it's just bad or
1: try it. It's fun, yeah. Right? Like, yeah.
2: And and do you think there's? (laughs) Do you think the education's there? It's just not
0: publicized. Basically, do you think they're hiding it? Because come on, let's be honest. They've been researching this stuff for.
2: Hundreds of years. Yeah, they, I mean, it's a mushroom. It grows outside. (laughs) There's, there's, there's mushrooms that can kill, there's thousands of mushrooms that can kill you too. Like, what's the difference? I I agree. Some are really healthy for you. And, and it's, I mean, they know it. And that's why we're starting to see a large amount of uh, support for decriminalizing psilocybin, you know, from mushrooms uh, for psychiatric use. I mean, Denver. Uh I think, Oregon, I think Bo- Bo- well, Oregon and Washington both Oregon has made everything legal. That's right. <laughs> Oregon just kind of okay. went, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Crack.
0: <laughs> Amsterdam's it's been legal over there for years. Yeah. And nobody seems to be going and getting drunk driving. And I, I, you know, I don't know the statistics. I don't really care. I'm not here for that because there's so many positive properties and experiences, even if it's all from personal experience, right? Because there's not a lot of research reports out on it.
2: Well, and the big thing comes: why, why can't we just at least try? Why can't we just look at this and just see what the what, like in a, in a really good setting, and let's do some studies? What's so wrong with that? Well, let's. And that's be, where the that's where pharmaceutical companies come into the conversation.
0: I, I, yeah, absolutely. And let's be honest: the pharmaceutical companies have taken all of these medicinal herbs and have manufactured them, synthesized them.
1: Yeah, because right. right, Well, a lot of it or has tried to or have taken a component of it and tried to, you know, synthesize it because you can't patent anything that's natural. You can't
0: like chloroquine. That's a big one, right? HCQ hydroxychloroquine. That's that's, chloroquine. Yeah, which is natural.
1: You can't patent that. You can't make money. You know, the more research has been done. On certain herbs than, say, the number one mineral in the body, magnesium, because there's no freaking money that goes into making magnesium because it's a natural substance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So stuff shut down.
0: So then knowing what we know about the alphabet soup agencies and what happened in Vietnam and what they've been doing helping this fake-ass war on drugs, this is a black market budget. I mean, there's more reasons. There's more agendas behind this besides... You know, what meets the eye.
1: I just had a consult today with a with a guy. I didn't know he was in the army. It kind of came up later. But he said, could this go back to, because all of a sudden congestive heart failure just quote randomly and he almost died. He was like, how did this come on? You know, there's there's literally nothing in his blood work. No medical doctors in the area say, you know, we don't know. He's like, could it go back to the army and what I was jabbed with? And I just laughed. I'm like, well, do you know what you were jabbed with? He goes, no. Every time I ask them, they tell me I don't need to know. <laughs> <laughs> So probably. <laughs> right? I mean, we just don't we don't know what's going on. There is a big budget and they're they're testing stuff that we don't even know. It just doesn't get out until things want to get out.
2: Hey, there's a, there's a reason why not one single poppy field has been destroyed in Afghanistan since oh, we've been there.
1: We've, what do you mean, Ryan? We've protected that.
2: <laughs> oh, I guess you can't see that in the podcast. I shrugged. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, we sent people over there to protect the poppy fields. Crazy. Which is what giving, I think, at the time, it was 90% of the
2: world's opium. Yeah. Something excessive. And hey, I'm a capitalist, man. I'm all about it. Go make some money, but just tell us about it. (laughs) If you're going to import a ton of heroin, like... Shouldn't we get like a break on our taxes or something? Yeah, stop faking your your, uh, (laughs) agenda of
0: WMDs.
1: (laughs) Oh, this gets back to why in the United Nations, this kind of war, even if you want to call it a war on psychedelics and certain drugs happened because all of the nations that didn't have big pharmaceutical lobbying, they voted against kind of making them illegal. And everyone else who had big pharmaceutical lobbying said, nope, we need to make it illegal. Right then and there, it's like, is, is what's out there and being talked about what's best for us? Or is everything we read, is everything we can get our hands on exactly what we can be offered or not? And I think that's the whole point of this podcast is talk about what isn't readily available.
2: I mean, we're living in a country that has we almost have 30 states with some sort of at least medicinal cannabis program. And the federal government still says it's like the most terrible thing in the world is a schedule one drug. Still schedule one.
1: Okay, what? Let's let's because they that.
2: can't make money because in the black
1: market. Yeah, because, but that was like the number one scheduled drug. That goes all the way back to the 1800s. Why? Tell us what happened with marijuana and the whole cannabis industry.
2: Everyone, I mean, a lot of people have seen like these uh, old medicine bottles and such that was like cough remedy, cannabis, like heroin, like cough. this was all happening. <laughs> it, yeah, cocaine was a great, I mean, it cleared your sciences up really well. And yet actually cocaine is still a schedule Two because it has medicinal value. That's what Novocaine is at the dentist. It numbs your your mouth just like cocaine does. So that's why cocaine is considered better than cannabis in the eyes of the government, which is insane. So much has been based on, like, these racial prejudices like, against people coming to this country, and there wasn't even – the term marijuana isn't even a real English word. It's not a scientific word. It's cannabis. That totally sounds English to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but guess where a lot of the marijuana in the 20s was coming from? Guess me- what? Mexico. Mexico. Guess who didn't like Mexicans? A lot of Americans. So they they they, I don't think that's changed. They turn. Well, yeah, uh, probably not. Although I don't know. (laughs) I think think it's changed a lot. And then they created the tax stamp act where you could possess marijuana, but you had to buy a tax stamp for it. But to get the tax stamp, you had to bring the marijuana to the place where you didn't have the stamp and they'd arrest you so like it was just a way to just arrest a bunch of people who wanted to like who were using marijuana at the time that was mainly Mexicans. Same thing happened on the West coast with opium and and, and Asians. It just was not that opium is a good thing, but it, it it spread like wildfire just to like to be prejudiced against these certain communities because they were just used to it from their home countries and then It came into, you know, obviously the money aspect of the pharmaceuticals.
0: Well, Bush Sr., he did a good job doing with NAFTA, which pretty much opened the borders wide up so they could just get their free flow of black tar heroin, cocaine and marijuana (laughs) through. Let's be honest. Americans have
2: addictive personalities
0: across the board.
2: We consume a lot of drugs compared to the rest of the world. I mean, there's parts of Europe that consume a lot more, but uh, we are the only country like one of the few countries in the world that have such the meth problem. I mean, most of Europe doesn't have a meth problem. Mm. That's just not something that, that they're like. What? <laughs> Speaking of meth problem, just kidding. Not, <laughs> not, not even close. Not even close.
0: <laughs> we're, we're gonna we're gonna switch gears here a second because you own Shady Oak Hemp Farm, and you have a wide range of experience—not only hallucinogens, but growing and you know that that whole field and industry, which is very fascinating in and of itself, especially where we're going these days. But would you just tell everybody like how awesome your product is because we got some, we got some good results here and I say we, I mean Ryan, but he shared them with us. So
2: I just want to throw it out there. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. We just, uh, we had our first uh, season of, uh, of growing hemp here in Wisconsin and um, turned out really well and actually just got everything processed to uh, the last couple of weeks into really nice full spectrum uh, CBD oil. And Came in at uh, the second uh, highest quality processing product they've done since they've opened. So uh, pretty proud of that. <laughs> how, many, how many kilos was it supposed to net you originally and what did it come back with? We were thinking about like 150, 100, 120, 150 and we ended up with 220 kilograms of, of oil. So we almost doubled what we were expecting. Uh, because
1: the, the product was so concentrated, correct?
2: Yeah, we... Uh, with the nutrients and stuff that we grew, we grew much more like growing THC cannabis versus trying to grow like more of a large crop. So by treating it that way, we got, we just were able to up the CBD levels. And in that case, you use less land to farm the same and amount. More sustainable. And much more sustainable. Uh, you just have to like, it's not throwing seeds in a field. You got to take care of every single one of those plants from beginning to end, including after the field. So it's a it's pretty exciting industry that's going on right now, and exciting because, I mean, THC and is technically a psychoactive substance, although it'll be very mild, so it does fit in. <laughs> it is It might be the first legal psychoactive substance someday here soon.
0: <laughs> well, at high, high levels, it becomes psychoactive, oh, right? Very much, very much, yeah. But now that we're on this topic real quick, before we switch back to why we started
2: this podcast today, is uh, Indica or Sativa? I'm all about the Indica. And if you don't know, a very easy one is Indica in the couch. Sativa, <laughs> think of sunshine.
1: Uh getting, generally more getting
2: work done on the farm. More awake and more sleepy. Yeah. Sativa's for the daytime, Indicas for the night. Okay. Uh, favorite strain in the last year. It's uh this pretty cool strain that apparently was Bread for Willie Nelson. I know like a million people say that, but it was, it's called Ingrid. And there's a seed, there's one place out in Colorado I know that grows it. And it's just, uh, if you want to fall asleep real fast, if you have lots and lots of pain, this strain is the place to go. So it has some fantastically... Medicinal benefits. Very, very medicinal. Um, fantastically. <laughs> fantastic, That's Fantastically. Awesome. We're talking about psychedelics. All words. All words, words work. Words are, words are nothing. They're just sounds. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really about the energy behind them. The spoon I does either. not exist. You <laughs> haven't seen The Matrix? None of us are here.
0: <laughs> it's just a, a simulation. We are just vibrating so fast. All
1: of that is true. You know.
0: I know. Yes.
1: <laughs> we are here and we are here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and psychedelics didn't help me with that either.
1: <laughs> no psychedelics were done before
0: this podcast. I tried, but they wouldn't let me. <laughs> getting getting back to it, Vanessa, you, you have a pretty fascinating story. I think it's fascinating because I was scared shitless when you went to, even talked about, thought about your journey. And I was scared for you. Thank you. But with that being said...
1: Thanks for all your support.
0: Yes. <laughs> Hey, I outwardly supported you. I I inwardly thought, oh, shit. But explain that a little bit and why you did it, what your intentions were, what you got from it, so on and so forth, because this is part of your healing journey. Mm
1: -hmm. And actually, this is interesting because the more I brought it up to people before I went and to other practitioners, naturopaths, osteopaths, medical doctors at these conferences I was at. And then after I went, the more I heard they had done it, they had looked into it they support it. There's healing properties. And so you kind of realize you're not alone, or there's maybe a purpose to it. What What
0: is this item that you're speaking of?
1: What did I do? Yeah. So I went to Peru <laughs> and did ayahuasca.
0: Okay. <laughs> no, I not, just, not only just Peru, you went by yourself. You did all the research. You <laughs> got the books. I think I even got you a book for Christmas or something. You
1: got me two books for Christmas, and then you stole one back. You kept it to read. I think I read it while I was at your place. And then you said, I'm keeping that. Fascinating. I don't remember. So, but this is a funny story because I don't have any experience with hallucinogens before this point. And just in kind of my journey and in my studying, I came across ayahuasca and it was used traditionally therapeutically for healing ceremonies, but also by shamans. And so I was looking into more more holistic remedies, whether it was these old ancient cancer remedies back in the day or whether it was the native medicine men and women or if it was ayahuasca. And they connect ayahuasca into changes in civilization and like changes in art and changes in how people communicate. So that fascinated me. And I just did more research into it and understood that we make DMT. So ayahuasca is essentially a brew that you ingest, that you drink, that increases DMT in your body.
0: But it's, it's part leaf, right? Half of it's leaf from a tree and half of it's bark? Yes. From a different tree? Exactly. Correct?
1: hmm And it tastes, most people think it tastes horrible, horrible bitter it just tastes like any bitter tincture remedy so oh,
0: so you're used to that yeah
1: it tasted fine everyone's like oh this smells horrible this is horrendous and i don't know i've drinking a lot of different different herbs and yeah tincture so it was fine but when i started to look into this i just something connected i go you know what someday i'm going to do that i didn't know why and i brought it up to you and you're like there's no way i could ever do that just from reports you've heard
0: just from my own experience the hell with the reports <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but you hadn't experienced In
0: mushrooms, too. Yeah, just kind of put like tripping was not
2: in your wheelhouse at the time.
0: No. And I'm just going to add right now that I believe it's about 13-ish grams of mushrooms to
2: your one shot of ayahuasca.
1: And how many grams of mushrooms do people typically take on a trip?
2: Right. Your average dosing, you're going to say about an eighth of an ounce of three and a half grams would be like kind of like what you, people would say, it'd be like your start. Although some people, a lot of people, start a lot smaller.
0: Okay, um, like your museum dose is one and a half to two and a half grams. Yeah, so you if have you, your heroic dose that Terrence McKenna has coined at five grams in a dark room
2: in silence. Yes. Sensory
1: <laughs> <That's> deprivation. <laughs>
2: yes, that—that's your dosing. Yeah, three and a half would be like you're in, an incapacitated style trip where you don't—you're not just walking around talking to people. So that—that's fair, and that's my point exactly.
0: Thirteen grams. As of, a lot. Of mushrooms. But here's
1: here's the best part is I had, I didn't know any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know any of that. I just knew there's healing properties. I knew it was used ceremoniously and therapeutically. And I knew there was a point of it. And I thought, you know what? There's something connected here. And really what kind of pushed me into it is after our mom died, I took on a lot of her symptoms, not knowing it. It showed up like six to, to nine months later that I realized I was experiencing her symptoms. And I thought, okay, there's got to be a way to release this. And then you just kind of feel called to things. And so I remember we were at your place for Christmas that year, because we had to help with down in Mexico with the mining project. Mm -hmm. And you got me a book on ayahuasca and DMT, I believe. And then we told dad, dad's like, why did you get that? And I said, well, I'm going to go do ayahuasca. He's like, no, you're not. And I looked him <laughs> straight in the eyes. I go, yes, I am. He's like, what the heck did I miss? <laughs> and so literally I booked my ticket because at first the reason I was like pushed to do this is because I had a free ticket. I ended up not using it. But booked my trip to Peru. Had no idea where I was going to stay until the night before. You I took went-
0: a bus that I- hardly had four wheels <laughs> went- through the jungle. Stop!
1: I went to a retreat center and I had to have a medical letter that said I was healthy enough to go. You get there and you do a whole, they do a whole medical exam on you. You're watched that whole night before you even start. You have to meet with a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, and then you meet with the shaman as well. So it's all these people are, are watching kind of over you and checking vital stats. So it's not like I just went into the forest and did it as controlled as you can be with being as traditional as you can be. But I did go and my stopover was five hours in Panama. Didn't know what currency I was going to use. Learned they take American dollars. That was pretty nice. <laughs> Didn't know if my phone was going to work because I know outside service. So literally, I told you guys I would contact you when I could. And I, I told you the date I'd be back. And so you get there, you go to the retreat center in town. And then you do, you literally take this bus two hours into the mountains, into the Andes Mountains, and you're on the retreat center, and there's no phones, and you fast all day long. And then you're in a hut at night with the shaman and...
0: Didn't you have to drink volcanic water?
1: Mineral water. Mineral so water. the day before, before you go, you have to essentially empty out your intestines because they want highest absorbability. So you drink volcanic water until you have diarrhea. And then little did I know when I walked into this place, there are these like stations or doors and they're all in a row. And I'm like, oh, huh, I wonder what that is. Those are all different toilets. So you pick one. Well, you go in the bathroom for four hours. So no one else is going in there. So like that becomes your toilet. It doesn't <laughs> have your name on it, but that is your toilet.
0: And I'm gonna interject here real quick because you said you didn't know some of this information going into it. Correct. My my research led me elsewhere, obviously. But the big point here is that when you told dad about it. I mean, his jaw damn near hit the floor and that right there is why I had a shitty experience the first time because he grew up with the whole propaganda campaign and that is what he put on us, even though he was a chiropractor and a holistic health practitioner. And very open to new things. Always. We were always doing new things in our house. Correct. He was not open to this whatsoever not the hallucinogen part, and certainly not the weed. We didn't even get, we didn't reach the level. That's a completely locked door. Yeah, right. 100%, not getting in. And that was a miserable fear that was projected onto me Mm. that I was unaware of.
1: And I got to the point where, I guess I knew that growing up, right? Because we would talk and I would talk to Mike about things too. But I just, at that point in time, I didn't care. It was like, whatever, this is my own journey. I got to do this. The fascinating thing is whenever I travel, I have all these different supplements for digestive issues because my whole life I've had digestive issues. And I left there not having ever having to take any of those supplements. I always have some sort of intestinal issue when I get back from a trip like that, Mexico, South America, wherever. None of that. The pain that showed up in my neck when I couldn't move my head, that was gone. Literally every gut issue I ever had was gone by the time I left.
0: That's incredible. Amazing.
1: Amazing. And all of the energy I was carrying from mom, that the symptoms that got passed to me, all gone. Every single one of them after that experience. But throughout that time, we also had to do community service. So we worked at an orphanage. We also had to do healing ceremonies of releasing energy and different traumas. And, you know, there was actually an Andean priest there that would come up and he had this big, like, feathered. That went over his hand. And because after you drink ayahuasca, the whole point is to have an empty stomach. You drink it. You don't do anything for 30 minutes. Then you chug water because you're forcing yourself essentially to puke. And that's when you absorb everything. You already absorbed it. You're trying to get the rest out of your gut. And so if you're puking, he comes up and he's like washing your back, if you will. And he didn't speak any any English. And the next day I'm like, what were you doing? He goes, releasing negative spirits. And the first night I thought, uh, OK, what is this? Right. Yeah. And then I saw it happen so much. I went, holy crap. And from my experiences, I was like, you're right. He's literally trying to keep that space because everyone's releasing their own gunk. He's trying to keep it clear so people can keep releasing. It, it doesn't stop. So that's what you're talking about in terms of a trip and having an, a, a well, quality
2: experience. And kind of showing there that the difference between, you know, modern day medicine, where it's like, well, this pill fixes this problem. The ayahuasca didn't fix any of your stuff. It fixed your mindset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You went out and did community service. You felt kind of to a community. Your whole energy was positive, And that helped heal you. I mean, it right. wasn't the ayahuasca didn't just cure all your intestinal stuff. It has nothing to do with it. It actually would have made your intestines worse as, as you
1: just found out. Right. You're able to see things from a different it's, perspective. It's a completely
2: so, different way of treating something.
1: Right. That night I laughed. I cried. I experienced this. I experienced that. I had all these physical experiences, which was the release of all the other things going on.
2: Yeah,
0: that you're holding on to emotionally or energetically or whatever was passed down ancestrally.
2: All of it. That's incredible. That's what I think is hard for some people to get their mind around is that no LSD isn't going to cure this. Ayahuasca is not going to cure this. It's going to put you in a mindset to help you cure yourself.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. And that's a totally (laughs) different perspective than... That's not modern medicine. Not that's not <laughs> going to a healthcare practitioner. So Chris and I talk about this a lot of, you're going to someone to say, help me, heal me, right? Fix me. A lot of people say, you go to a for oh, fix me. And it's like, they're setting up the area, if you will, so your body can heal itself, essentially. And that's what anyone in really the healing arts does. But a lot of times, people with ego. I was just going to say that. Think they're the ones fixing the people and that's not happening. You provide the space and maybe provide a, something to help, right? That Move whole, it
0: along. And I don't know if you want to call it the victim mentality, but the people looking for help a lot of times will latch on. It gets bad. It crosses the line from getting help and, and knowing and understanding that you can do it yourself. You can take the reins.
1: To then thinking you
0: need them to help you. Correct. And that's, that's where that line gets crossed as well. So you have the ego part on the practitioner that they're thinking, oh, I did this and I did that. And then from the client, they're thinking, oh, I have to email or text all hours of the day and night when the wind changes direction.
1: And this is essentially what this is the really cool part about. Not a lot of herbs can do this, right? Psychedelics can do this is shift your brain state to show you more about yourself so you can heal yourself or you can just open up in a way, or you it, talk about it as ego, what do you say, Ryan? Ego death. Ego death.
2: And that's where, because the the longer and longer we tell ourselves we're amazing, we're the shit, the more that ego <laughs> gets in the way of actually seeing what's really going on. Yeah. And that's what we don't have as children, is an ego, right? We are just open to the world. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens, happens. I can't control it, so I don't care. And you uh, don't live in fear and you don't live
0: under all of those or in all of those boxes that are put on you and you don't live. And under. you live in
2: wonder. Yeah. So and you live in wonder because and then by living in wonder means you want to learn, which keeps that brain, your brain going. I mean, we've pretty much figured out, well, there's been a lot of research, you know, like dementia, Alzheimer's. Well, People just when they stop using their brains when they get older because they don't go out and do anything that helps that stuff happen. I mean, and as as adults, the longer we get into our basic everyday lives, we have our nine to five jobs, You go here, 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 we have our same routine, we never change it. We don't get that reset to be able to go, oh, maybe I should stop and look back at all this. Because like you're going so fast, especially in this country, we're constantly working. You never have time to take a second and go, whoa, oh, maybe I should look at all this.
0: You're right. It is definitely a reset. And that's why they call it the midlife crisis. I think it's all this gunk built up for years. It's not that you're 52 or 45 or whatever the hell the age is for this quote-unquote midlife crisis that people go out and buy Corvettes or whatever they do. And they say, oh, he's having the midlife crisis. No,
2: it's his life that just caught up to him. Your that- ego got so big, it just couldn't handle it. It would... It, and then it's like, OK, everything's got to be crazy. <laughs> you just got
0: crushed under the weight of all of the gunk that you've been carrying for, in some instances, generations.
1: Also, our society and culture that says this is how it should be. Right. So once you have a house and you get married and have kids and then it needs to be like this and you need to have these routines and you need to, need to, need to. And when you can step back from that and just enjoy. How many people go through life and just enjoy nearly every day?
0: I just want to check the box? What box? All the, all the boxes, I got married, I have kids, I have a white picket fence,
2: that's what we're supposed to do, right? Just
0: check well, the
1: box.
2: Well, this, like you're saying, this is what, like the, how they said this is what you're supposed to have, right? This is, they're telling us what happiness is, without us saying, well, wait a minute, what, what makes me happy? I mean, this is a brave new world, this Huxley, the, like, they say, this is happiness, so if you think that this is happiness, then you can be easily tricked into going, well, I'm happy. They told me I'm happy, so I gotta be happy. This is what happiness is.
1: Maybe we don't understand what happiness
2: is. We don't. We not at all. And it's exactly because of what okay. Ryan's
1: saying. When when happiness is put in front of people or people experience it, they don't know what happiness. You were just talking to someone the other day, and you said you don't, you can't find enjoyment. You don't even know what joy is. You take the fun out of everything. Mm-hmm. I don't think maybe we know what. Happiness actually is or feels like.
0: I agree completely. And I'll tell you what, these hallucinogenics can definitely help you get there and figure it out because of all the things that we talked about. But even the last time that I did mushrooms, because I built up the courage to do it and I had this great plan. And Again, I felt called to it or called back to it, even though I was but very. You
1: were, you were also trying to repattern.
0: I was trying to repattern. There was there was some sort of purpose here. Yep, there's definitely. It's part of my. It was part of my journey, and I had this grand idea that I was going to get an adjustment so my central nervous system is working properly. My body was flowing energetically and physically how it was supposed to. And then I was going to, you know, have set and setting all done. Vanessa, I used you. I roped you into uh, being the trip sitter on this one. Yep. And for me, I had the proper music going. It was uh, Gregorian chants, and I had the lights dim. I remember I wanted to take, well, I was going to take two grams because that was a lot for me. And I I went to measure it out, and it was one and a half grams. And you said, nope, two grams. I'm like ah oh, shit, always. <laughs> Never doubt yourself.
2: <laughs> it's but the I, worst decision you can make. <laughs>
0: but you're right because once you go on the roller coaster, you're ready to strap in for the ride. Yeah. But I set my intentions, and once it was all done, I thought it was going to be much worse. I was preparing for the worst.
1: You had a positive intention, but you were kind of preparing for. You
2: thought it was going to go be. Back. Yeah, I'm going to have to like fight through this.
0: And for me, for all the spiritual warfare I've been through, and all the spiritual shit I've seen, most of it negative. I wanted you. I wanted someone who was rooted in God and someone who is experienced or calm in the matter because that's important if you have someone... Extremely important, yeah. If you're freaking out, you need someone to calm you down or know how to work you through it and not freak out with you because now it's going to be a 10 times freak out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it was so simple. It was emotional for me. It's supposed to be. Right, but like this part... this. I felt really good. I felt calm. But what I saw, all the noise was taken away. No crazy thoughts, no monkey brain. And it literally showed me the basic principle and foundation. And it was love and empathy. And it was so damn simple. But also it was so clear to you. It was so clear and it made so much sense because of what I'd already been going through. But that was my last trip, if you will. And it wasn't as intense as I thought it was going to be. But like you said, Ryan, it's exactly what I needed, what I needed to connect dots with, what I needed to see from a different perception for the people that some people that were close in my life that I all of a sudden saw or felt the empathy for that maybe I didn't prior to, or at least on the level that I should have. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to the having love for yourself and having love for others as well.
1: So where does this take us? in relation to research? What's happening right now with research on psychedelics and- Well, I think actually if if I could just
2: go through, because I guess you guys went through some of your actual experiences, um, and I can then tie that into why where research is kind of going, I think, with it. I just want to go through like uh, three significant trips in my life. First one being like the first mushrooms. That I didn't know what I was going to get into, Um, but what it did was literally change my entire life. Middle school age, as with most kids, didn't know where I wanted to be, didn't know who I was in the world, didn't know where I fit in the social structure, you know, friends coming, going, going to bigger schools, this, this, and that. It just, the world didn't click with me. I couldn't find joy or happiness. I couldn't seem to figure out what I what I was doing or why I was there, what was going on. So it was almost like a give up. I'm like, well, I guess drugs, let's, let's go to drugs. That's what you do when you give up, right? Well, thank God I found cannabis and then very quickly after mushrooms and was. I mean, it's <laughs> talking to my parents, they're like, what happened to you? You did a complete 180 in your life. You went from depressive, isolative to. Let's experience the world. Let's get involved with stuff. Let's be good. Like, let's something completely changed. And it literally was just like I came out of my first trip and was like, wow, I got to look at the world a whole different way. I was looking at it wrong. The world's not against me. I can dominate this world and completely change my life in just going, Okay, I can always take a step back and reevaluate. That's something that I feel like, especially as you get older, it's harder and harder to do. So that kind of started my journey on psychedelics. Kind of second one was is the kind of experience of being with somebody else who's also experiencing the same thing. So I got my kind of like we got some psychology stuff with like depression, anxiety out with my friend camping Canyonlands National Park, beautiful out in the middle of nowhere next to, you know, a huge canyon, beautiful. We'll take a, a say, I want to say four or five hits of LSD Damn. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That was very, very intense. We ended up both climbing up to the top of these two rock spires, overlooking just miles and miles of what they call Island in the Sky, this cool part of the park. And uh, because we had both ingested at the same time, we were feeling the same feelings, identical. And these feelings that you can't explain, but you look over at the other person and go, oh, my God, he gets it. I know you're feeling like we're like we're trading thoughts back to each other. Like I've never felt that connected to a human being before. This is just my good buddy. And we're just like so we're watching because like the rocks are kind of different colors uh, out there. And all of a sudden all the colors start to change. And then this big like it it looked like a gigantic tidal wave was coming up, but just like not like real, like not scary, but like the colors were tidal waving and uh, it like hit me and I just. Burst into tears with just joyous weeping. And I look over and Kyle is doing the exact same thing. We both, it just hit us at the same time. And I'm like, it was the most incredible feeling to another human being's ever felt. So, like, okay, there's a, a couple's therapy or group therapy, things like that. And it's that. probably one that you can't
0: truly put into words, I would expect. Absolutely not. All I can just say is like we you have both, to experience it. We
2: can talk about that night and feel that exact same sure. feeling of what happened there. That's awesome. Uh, and finally, just real quick with what I guess would be as known as kind of the newest hardcore hallucinogen. And it's just because it was never really used in shamanistic cultures is 5-MEO DMT, which is, comes from the venom of the Sonoran Desert Toad. So it's a much stronger version of DMT than your average ayahuasca trip would be. And it's a very, very intense 40 minutes where you are completely incapacitated, laying on your back, eyes closed, and you are just blasted to another universe of then looking back at yourself and not even – you come out of this 40 minutes – I mean, you you were still the whole time. You barely like people are like, are they dead? Like because you're just your heads are going a million miles an hour. And it just pulls out these little things about you that you're like, I want to fix this. And this is how you do it. This is what the problem is with you. This is how I'm going to do it. And that's I mean, basically how I came to the conclusion that, you know, alcohol is not something that. Is a positive influence in my life. It didn't ruin my life. It maybe was going to. I probably would have been fine just being kind of a functional alcoholic. But this mirror looked at you and going, All this is doing is killing you. So what's the point? So it was like a huge wake-up call and it was a breakthrough. A huge wake up call, but it was so like
0: simple. You're like, Oh, fuck. That's it? Right. Where you don't feel bad about it. You just... That's all I got to do. ...realize it. Oh. <laughs>
1: this is interesting with DMT, is that it doesn't slow brainwaves. It brings you out of this alpha being on state into what's known as theta, which is like slightly dreaming and meditative. But yet, in terms of neuronal connections, there's more pathways lit up and there's like more chaos. So it's almost like you're on high, but also on low at the same time. And that's why you say your brain is just like going, but yet the answer is so simple. mm
2: mm-hmm. And When they did, they finally got to do uh, MRIs uh, at a university in England of people on LSD. And they were like, you look like you're dreaming. Your brain is turned on that you're dreaming. Like these aren't supposed to be turned on when you're awake and more of your brain is working at the same time. So how is more of your brain working at the same time? Negative? isn't that what we all try to achieve with education? Yeah, we're just not used to it. You know, it can be a scary
0: thing. But some of those brain scans and those neurological patterns that they put together are freaking fascinating what it's doing.
1: So maybe there's a connection here with some of the great, I mean, like suicides were up 2000% last year, right? Anxiety is up. There might be a connection with some of this research and brain capacity and healing patterns or getting out of bad habits with some of this, but yet a lot of it's still shut down.
2: Yeah, because of, of a taboo that almost none of us care about anymore, but it's been so ingrained that we just go with it. Speaking of ingrained, you're absolutely right,
0: but the Kremlin did, back in the 60s, did a study that was two months long, and it was propaganda on the TV, and they realized after two months that people are so brainwashed that no matter what you tell them, they will not come out of it.
1: So it only takes two months to brainwash, to brainwash people or make them think something. Correct. And once they think that, they won't shift no matter what you do. Yes,
0: it's extremely, extremely hard, okay. and, and that goes back to what you're saying. As, as you get older, not only do we not have the life force energy to you know heal at the rate that we did when we were younger. We are so ingrained in these patterns. We're, we're, only, we're not even looking for a solution. We don't even know no, the problem. No, there, you are, yeah. there you go. There you go. So, trying to change at that age, whatever
2: it may be, it gets a lot harder as the years go by. I have this idea of, of getting, of reverting back to your childlike state again, zero ego, joy, vulnerable. And, That is something I think as adults, we need to take responsibility and do that more often. I think our society, every society picks something to kind of, that's your release. That's where you kind of go back to your childlike state. We have chosen alcohol. Alcohol, I believe, does play a part, especially in our like 20s of, okay, we're becoming an adult. We got to do some responsible stuff. We also... Need to revert back to that childlike state to keep our minds going to be open to like I'm in college so I got to learn I got to do this I got to be out I got to meet people. Once that excitement goes away, alcohol it's it's kind of like the same idea where like opiates can do some amazing things for people in pain right but there's a huge risk involved. Alcohol is the same thing. It does help in getting adults back to that childlike state but the problem is it doesn't help very well. It's not very efficient and there's a huge cost of of uh you know dependence. So that's where you go take an adult once a year, go and become vulnerable, go back to your childlike state, and you can repair the brainwashed part, right? You're, you can, cause you're a blank slate again. Now, all that stuff that's been brainwashing you for that entire year is you can look at it from a different angle and go, whoa, maybe I don't believe this. Maybe I should make a different opinion on this. Maybe I should do this differently in my life.
1: What if we just had fun? What if our release is just fun instead of like substances or food or, tv or stuff well it's just freaking had fun
0: it should be and i think you know you mentioning ryan about the childlike state a lot of yogis like to say you know be like your inner child but that's such a catchphrase no one
2: knows what the hell that means but that's where i think like you do that trip and then subsequently from there you're already over. you know what i haven't just gone out in a field and walked around today those subsequent thoughts happen after it and you are just having fun without a substance versus alcohol, you need it. It only works for about four hours. So you need to keep taking it. Whereas a psychedelic will give you like six months to a year.
1: Ryan, you're really relief. enticing me here. You're you're, you're a good salesman <laughs> for psychedelics. Yeah,
2: no
0: kidding. I, I, do, I do want to make this connection to Christianity real quick. And there's two connections. Number one, in Matthew 8 or 18, one through five, anyways, it, it talks about the childlike state, be more like a child to enter the kingdom in heaven. And it's referring to what you're talking about, which is we need to be more free. We need to be more open. We need more, have fun, have more faith, less fear. Right. But, you know, you also talked about the reset button and what this can do for you. And it's the renewal of the mind. It's not the bandaid or the thing that cured you. And It's, it's allowing you to cure yourself. Exactly. So, you know, they always say that until you're renewed in Christ, you have to have a renewal of the mind. So you're not renewed until you have the renewal of the mind. And if you've been going on any sort of health journey, you know that the mind is super important and that's where most of your holdups are. But with that said, we know that civilizations have used psychedelics for thousands of years, but we believe it's time to take a hard second look at the revitalization of our minds and the society as a whole, because there's a lot to add. There's a lot to talk about and there's a lot of research that still needs to be done. Thank you for listening. Join our community at outofthecommon.net and pass along a prayer and positivity today.